there are two ways of having an economic recovery from this. Either we just throw money at it and we invest in anything, or we could have um, a, a reorienting of the economy. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Fox. Now, this is an environmental podcast for people who want to do their bit for climate change because, hey, knowledge is power and we all have our part to play. As always, we've got a brilliant guest chatting sustainability today and an eco-life hack, something that you might be able to utilise right now, today, to lower your carbon footprint. If you would like to follow us on the socials, they are on the way. We've been having a chat about that documentary, Seaspiracy, this week. Also, the contacts, if you've got a Lico life hack or a guest suggestion, will be in the show notes. But first, on to our guest today. Now, this series, I've had a few other podcast hosts joining me, people whose podcasts I admire and who I wanted to have a chinwag with, basically. Now, we all know climate change is humanity's biggest problem. The Climate Solutions podcast tells you exactly what you can do to fight it, from the way you heat your home to the food you eat and the digital devices you use. This award-winning podcast is hosted by my guest today, Matt Rees. He's a former foreign correspondent with Time and Newsweek and the author of nine novels and a book of non-fiction. And fun fact, when I said to him he should be doing his audiobooks because he's got a great voice, apparently Rula Lenska does them. Yeah. Now, today me and Matt discuss COVID-19 and climate change. Now, the latest Climate Solutions series is delving right into this. Climate Solutions is backed by the European Investment Bank, the EU Bank, and they did a massive survey of 30,000 people in every EU country, as well as the UK, the US and China, unpicking their attitudes towards climate change in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. So as well as the results of the survey, we're going to talk Bitcoin today and that really tough question as well. What is the hardest thing for you to give up to stop climate change? Welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, Matt. Lovely to be with you. Very glad that you're joining me today. Um, I wanted to just ask about your environmental background a little bit and how, how you got involved in the Climate Solutions podcast. Well, you know, I write about it a lot, Andrea, because you know, the, with the, the European Investment Bank, um, it's the EU's bank and more recently it has become the EU's climate bank because obviously the the European Union has said that by 2050 they want um, Europe to be the first climate neutral continent, you know, net zero emissions by that time. And so there's something called the, the, the Green Deal, which they came up with. So that is going to be financed in, in large part by the EU Climate Bank, by the European Investment Bank. And so last year, um, the president of the bank came out and said, we're going to support one trillion euros of investment this decade in climate and uh, environmental sustainability, which is a phenomenal amount. And uh, it means that I, when I write about it, have to spend a lot of my time writing about how we're going to get to that one trillion. And it is quite a target, as you say, and there's so many things that you go into on the Climate Solutions podcast. But today we are particularly looking at this survey that you've done of 30,000 people in every EU country, as well as the US, China and here in the United Kingdom. We're going to focus on the United Kingdom stats today. And it's all about attitudes to climate change in light of COVID-19. And this is something that's been coming up with so many guests in the past year, obviously. But in your opinion, and also what you found from this survey... 
Matt, do you think COVID-19 has been a good or a bad thing for climate change so far? And will it continue to be good or bad in the future? There's definitely some signs that it's that it's raised awareness of how we we need to deal with a big emergency. And then there are also, I'll mention afterwards, there are some slightly worrying signs too. But the main thing that we can take from this is people have looked at, at the situation that they've been in for the last year and said, okay, first of all, um, I didn't used to like the idea that the government would make me change my behavior to, to stop climate change. Well, now that's changed because people have seen okay, the government made me change my behavior to take care of COVID-19 so I could look after, uh, you know, people who are at risk or so that I didn't infect grandma. Um, and they responded to that, you know, that they've seen that that has worked, even though it's been bumpy in different countries and different places, but it has worked. And so there is um, a, a large number of people on, on our survey that showed that they would be prepared to, let's say, take orders from uh, the government, you know, to to improve climate change. Yes, because um, I feel like in the UK especially, we think we don't like authoritarianism, but when a pandemic comes along, I think I've seen a lot from people, they want to be told what to do. They don't want to hear common sense. They want to be told, can I do this? When's it going to end? And I think that's been where a lot of the sort of conflict has come between like government and people and following or not following the rules. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, the survey shows that people are obviously, I suppose, more worried about COVID than they are about climate change. This is the third year we've done the survey. And of course, the previous two years, the people were most worried about climate change. Obviously, COVID changed that. But it didn't mean that people think, OK, now let's just focus on COVID. Let's not care about climate change. Because what we found, we asked people, there are two ways of having an economic recovery from this. Either we just throw money at it and we invest in anything and we don't care, even if it's, you know, let's, coal mines. <laughs> let's, build, yes, let's have coal mines and, and power plants and things. Or we could have what's called a green recovery where yes. we say, okay, we're going to invest all this money, but actually this is a big opportunity to have um, a, a reorienting of the economy to, to change the structure of the economy and to invest in things which will be sustainable for, for decades and contribute to slowing down climate change. And we found that actually the green recovery came out ahead. So in Britain, 44% of people said, I don't care, just get us a recovery which is understandable because, you know, it's it's hard. But 56% said, no, we want a green recovery. So I thought that was very, very interesting that even now when things are really, really tough, people said, okay, we, we do have to look forward. Good to hear that the UK is more interested in green recovery, but did you find this was across the board or were we kind of on our own in that? Well, China was rather ahead of everybody. China, the Chinese were more interested in the green recovery. That could be a little bit because it's hard to poll in China the same way you can in America and in Europe and in Britain because you tend to get, you know, younger people who are online. Uh, you don't get rural uh, people and so on. So that we can perhaps put that aside. Britain was around about the same as uh, as America and Europe, slightly less actually. 
in terms of support for for a, a green recovery but nonetheless 56 percent that's a pretty strong uh response yeah definitely and you mentioned that there are some sort of signs that maybe COVID-19 might not be so good for climate change in the future can we touch on what those might be well one of the big ones is public transport where we found that people really were they're now scared of being on public transport and the question of course will be does that linger after everyone's vaccinated it could be that it will still be a factor for people but it was more than 70 percent of people 73 percent of people in britain who said even after uh covid is is finished i intend to um uh to use um public transport less uh, so that you know, that's very worrying because obviously, in in an urban context, it's very important for us to get people onto uh, public transport. Mm. And you're speaking to us from Luxembourg now. I'm here in London, one of the places in the world with one of the best, I would say, public transport systems. And I have to agree with you. I don't have to travel a lot for work currently, but because I'm middle class enough and lucky enough to own a car, I have been using our car like I have never used our car before. I'm only eight times a month, but still I'm sort of devastated every time I do it. But I'm thinking, well, I'm keeping my work colleagues safe at the moment by using my car and not coming into contact anyone before I get to my destination. But my husband was laughing at me when I kept saying, especially at the very start of the pandemic last year, I really miss the tube, but I really miss the tube. When I, I didn't grow up in London, so to me it feels like, oh my God, it's I, I'm, I really live in a capital city and this is so convenient. And... Uh, which is hilarious now because it's always sweaty and horrible and you're in someone's armpit. But I it, I can kind of see that and it is slightly disappointing, especially when we might see a lot of funding going into sort of public transport. And I read a recent story, I think it was in the FT, about the struggles that Eurostar's facing at the moment, which is another brilliant way to get around and travel and go on holidays in Europe, never mind business travel. Um so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether we'll get back on, on buses and trains. That's quite, quite, a, quite a scary one, isn't it? Well, I think one of the signs is that people, people might be scared of getting onto the public transport, but they do recognise that transport is where things have to change in order for us to, to deal with climate change. I'll give you another example from a survey. We asked people, what's the thing that we should really prioritise to stop climate change? And it's probably no surprise that the top answer there was more renewable energy, but the second was more investment in uh, in transport. Um, so that doesn't just mean more public transport; it also means um, investing in um, uh, automated or, or electric cars and vehicles. Um, so that was thirty-four percent of people still saying that's that's the priority: get the transport thing done. And so while there will be this lingering effect of, of COVID on um, people using cars instead, I think if we look a little bit further ahead, people are still aware that we can't go on driving the way we do. Although I should add, we asked people what's the hardest thing to give up if you had to give one of these things that we're going to offer you as an option um, in order to um, stop climate change. The hardest thing to give up was was the car. That was even harder for people to give up in Britain than red meat. Wow. Wow. I find that yeah. really surprising. But that maybe that's coming from me who's not 
I, I'm, I've, I've come to the realization that basically I don't care about meat. I'm really in food for the sauce. So I'm very much fine with any vegan Satan. Absolutely fine in my burger because really I'm well, here that, for the other stuff. <laughs> well, I could, I could ask you or, or your listeners, you know, which of these things would you find hardest to give up? And they're all things which have, to one degree or another, a big carbon footprint. So they, okay. to give them up would be significant. We asked, would you give up your car, uh-huh. red meat, uh, streaming digital uh, downloads like uh, Netflix and so on, um, new clothes or flying. I mean, obviously the new clothes is because, you know, when you have a pair of jeans, there's that there are emissions involved in that and there's water used for it and so on. Um, and, you know, why not just wear the same clothes or, or mend them? Mend them, yeah. And then the last one is is flying and, uh, you know, people tended to say flying would be the easiest thing to give up. But what about you? That's Car, so interesting. Um, I think red meat, flying and new clothes are going to be the easiest ones for me. But I, maybe I'm thinking the car just at the moment. Um, and, you know, I'm probably at the end of the scale, one of those people who's trying a little bit harder to to get rid of those things but then you know just before the pandemic i was on a long haul flight to see family in australia so you know it kind of depends on everyone's circumstances but i find that interesting that people chose the car over food what would you go for matt what would be the easiest ones for you to kick to the curb i think i could probably live without red meat but then i would be worried about my children who are fairly young wanting to give up red meat. And I'm not sure if I want them to give up red meat, you know, because I want them to have to, you know, to grow up strong and all that kind of thing. So I think for me, because I'm an oldie, I could I could give that up pretty easily. Yeah, that's an interesting one because lots of I don't have any kids and lots of my friends are my close friends are vegetarians and have children. And I was always like, oh, would, would I have a certain food group that I didn't want kids to eat necessarily growing up? And I think you're right. Like maybe it's just easier when they're young to be like, you eat what you like you try everything and you make that decision when you're older but I don't know there'll probably be vegetarians and vegans listening to the podcast who completely disagree with that but we're talking about the things we have to give up and that is such an interesting point isn't it because we can't carry on as we have been and expect things to change with the climate so when we talk about green recovery that's kind of like big sort of stuff that maybe feels a little bit away from us Uh, in terms of green recovery that's business that's big business that's government but when you say how much would you pay to stop climate change I suppose in a way that is what you're giving something up is that sort of payment in a way right yeah this is all it was it was quite a surprise to me actually in, in some ways to look at it this way as how things are priced is going to be what decides this in the end both if you're a corporation because you know, you realize you're going to pay a price if your assets, which you're building now, are going to be useless in five or 10 years time, because by then, it, you know, fossil fuels will be completely banned. So there's no point yeah. in building something which uses that. And the same thing is, is true uh, for all of us, uh, really, you know, we are still at, at a stage where climate change can seem distant. And, you know, even though there were a lot of people in our survey who said, even in Britain, we we experience climate change uh, today, that was a lower number 
than any of the other places we surveyed. So America, anywhere else in Europe, China, Britain was still was was lower there, even though it was, it was a significant number of people who were saying they experience it in their in their daily life. So I think we are still at a stage of trying to push this off into the future, and that's why it's important that we have you know podcasts like yours and and mine to to keep people informed about what can be done. Hey, whilst we're at the midway point of today's episode, don't forget, if you have a subject you'd like me to cover on the Age of Plastic podcast, maybe your own eco-life hack you've discovered you'd like to share, or you've just got a comment for me, send me a letter. Only kidding. Uh, Find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Age of Plastic podcast, and I'm on Twitter, Andrea underscore Fox. And you can also send me a message via my website, iamandreafox.co.uk. Okay, back to today's Age of Plastic podcast guest. If you're making a petrol car, there's not really much point in making them or encouraging people to buy them because, like you say, that could be a cost that is completely useless to you when they're banned in a few years' time, like you say. And going back to COVID as well and and this survey, teleworking, all those sort of behaviour changes around travel to do with climate change, do you think those are things from this survey that you think people are going to keep hold of as we go back into a recovery period whether that's green or not well one thing that was encouraging was when we asked people about transport um, you know what should be done in order to make transport uh, less of a a, a contributor to climate uh, climate change and so people said the the things we've already discussed they said public transport they said uh, subsidize electric cars but 25% of people in Britain said telework. So what has happened in this last year is people in many uh, instances have really liked teleworking. And uh, both in terms of the time they get to spend with their, their families, the fact that they don't have to commute, um, which right now might seem to them dangerous because they might get infected with COVID, but also it's just time that you don't have to spend sitting on a train doing nothing and not getting paid for it, of course. Um, Instead, a quarter of uh, the people that we surveyed in Britain said they'd like to be teleworking, you know, as a priority. So I think that there is, first of all, the the benefit that telework has had over the last year in terms of commutes that didn't have to be made and, of course, keeping people safe. But in the future, there's also now real evidence that if those 25% of people go to their boss and say, we want to telework, the boss can't say, and now it doesn't work because (laughs) it's worked. Yeah, exactly. That bluff has been called, hasn't it, on bosses who are against flexi time or flexible working or teleworking, as you call it. And I wanted to just ask your opinion as well, with all of the knowledge that you have um, and everything that you discuss on the Climate Solutions podcast. We've mentioned words like green recovery, carbon neutral. Um, I know that you're going to be touching on the circular economy in future series of the Climate Solutions podcast. Um, Net zero, all these sort of phrases. What do you think personally should be our aim or maybe aims that we're aiming for? Is it carbon neutral? Is it net zero? I think on a personal level, I think there are some things that we can do that don't push us too far, if you like, because I think we've all put up with a lot in the last year that we 
hadn't experienced before. So I don't really want to tell people, okay, stop driving the car, the things that they really don't want to do. I want to find the, the low hanging fruit, if you like. And what we found in our survey was that people were really willing to buy local produce and to um, buy seasonal produce as well. And those are both things that have quite a large impact on, um, uh, on, on emissions. Obviously, you know, right now, one of the things about um, red meat, for example, is that it might be a cow that's, uh, that's, that you're eating that's from the north of England, but that cow was fed with, um, with grain that was grown in South America on, on land that had, um, that had previously been rainforest. They cut down the rainforest, they plant the grain, they, they put it on a ship and they bring it all the way over to Britain, then they feed your, feed your cow and then you eat the cow. So even with, with some local produce, you, you can't be sure that you're, you're protecting the environment. But seasonal uh, and local produce is, is a very good way of, of cutting your own personal uh, carbon footprint. And I think it's something that we can all we can all do without much, uh, you know, much pain, if you like. Yeah. And it's something that's been said in the po- on the podcast before by previous guests. You've kind of like a low hanging fruit is a good way to put it, because once you hook people into doing that thing that they found really easy, you encourage them to maybe do step a little bit further, maybe try using the car less or maybe go on less holidays that, you know, are short haul flights to Europe and that kind of thing. And it is you can't change people can't change everything all at once. So I think that is a that's a really good, I think, personal aim um, for the you if you're listening to the Age of Plastic podcast today. And as I'm talking to someone who works in the world of finance, I wanted to ask you a question which isn't to do with this survey. And I hope you'll be able to answer it, Matt. But it is to do with Bitcoin, something I've been reading about recently. Now, I, um, my husband works in finance. I know a little bit about Bitcoin. Um, but I've read recently that the Bitcoin mining has kind of the same CO2 and carbon emissions as the whole country. And I know you've discussed the fact that the digital world, although we think of it as virtual, does have a carbon footprint on the podcast before. So I just wondered what your sort of thoughts on that are. Yeah, it does. It has a, a quite a big uh, impact. We have a, an episode on this actually from one of our other podcasts called The Dictionary of Finance. We have two episodes on Bitcoin. And one of the things there is, as you mentioned, mining. Now, Originally, there were a certain number of Bitcoin about 12 years ago, something like that. And it was seen that, okay, these will go up in value because there's only a certain number. So if everyone wants them, they have to buy one from me because I own some of the only existing Bitcoin. However, what then developed is this thing called mining, which is essentially super powerful computers backed by these enormous servers uh looking for new new bitcoin so in other words not the existing ones but finding new bitcoin somehow it's terribly complicated and i don't quite understand how they find the new bitcoin but what they do in order to find it is to have huge huge servers using enormous amounts of electricity um and obviously if they are if they're not in Norway, then that electricity is probably going to be coming from uh, coal-fired gas stations and so on. Um, and so 
this does have actually quite a quite a huge uh, impact in terms of emissions. It's one of the things that we have to think about with with digital um, digitalization in general is that you have big data centers allowing digital information to move around. And these data centers, again, they're big servers, and if they are not produced with not using renewable energy, then that's actually quite a problem. Mm. The other way in which this occurs is the way to think of it is, let's say back when we just had you know a few TV stations, you would have one big TV aerial uh, in Crystal Palace or wherever sending out that um, that signal to everybody's house, and everybody got the same signal. Now everybody's streaming something different at a different time, so the uh, the streaming services can't just have one big uh, signal coming from one place. They have to have facilities very close to where you live in order that there's not a lot of delay and that the thing doesn't cut off in the middle of your your enjoyment of your latest show. Um, and that each time has uh, you know a, a, a carbon footprint. So it's one of the things that I think of as almost hidden because you just wouldn't think that this has a carbon footprint. You think, okay, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing better for the environment because I used to buy a newspaper. Oh, that's paper. That's not good. Now I'm just reading the paper on, on a digital device. That's better. It might be better, but it kind of depends on where the electricity is coming from for the data center that's sending you that, that information on your device. Yeah, I find this so interesting. And like you say, you know, we used to have that that one, like you say, Crystal Palace beaming out Coronation Street to everyone's tellies. But now there's a telly in every room. There's a flat screen in every room. Someone will be watching something on a laptop as well. Someone will be watching something on a phone. These are things we didn't used to have. And there was obviously carbon involved in the making of all those products. And I believe at the start of the pandemic, Netflix had to lower the quality that they were streaming services to the EU because they just didn't have the bandwidth for it to to send it in high quality because everybody was sitting at home watching telly <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a, these are what you know you might call the rich person's problems but you know yes. the rich people and in a sense the rich people are the ones who caused this problem in the first place so now this yes. is just a new way that we rich people have have found to cause new types of of uh, carbon emissions in a sense i mean it's one of the one of the things that we we talked about in the survey is inequality um because obviously it's 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 fine for me to say oh i could live without red meat well i you know i can buy red meat if i want to but there's places in the world where you can't and oh we should all give up a car there are parts of certainly in europe and also in britain you know parts of the country where you can't really get away with not having a car because the, the trains don't run there or the bus service is, is once a day and you can't from Westminster just say, okay, now we're going to, uh, we're going to tell everybody no more cars or uh, you, you have to buy an expensive electric car. Um, you have to make this uh, equitable because if you don't, you end up with what happened in France uh, three or two or three years ago where they had the, uh, the yellow vest protests lived yeah mm. the gilets jaunes were living in rural areas they had to have cars to get around and then suddenly the price of diesel goes way up 
and uh, either they can't get around in their cars or they can't carry on with their business. So we have to make sure, and this was something that people did recognize in our survey, 73% of people said there should be some sense of uh, equality in how these things are done. We shouldn't just say, okay, we, we are you know, middle-class green, green people and we want everybody to live our way when it's actually perhaps out of the reach of large portions of society. We need to help them with subsidies and to ensure that we're investing um, as part of the, the green recovery to make sure that this is sustainable for everybody. Yeah, I completely agree. You can't expect to change people's hearts and minds around climate change if you're punishing them for for something. Like you say, those subsidies to bring people along to make sure that no one is left out are, are really, really important, I think. And um, I wonder as well, we always ask our, our guests two important questions. Now, we are called the Age of Plastic podcast. It is a good material, but uh, single use is a scourge and just one of the other ways that we are wasting carbon. Is there a non-single-use plastic item that you are thankful for, though, Matt? There is. Uh, it's a little bit strange, but, you know, I used to live in uh, in Jerusalem when I was working as a foreign correspondent, and there they invented something which I think you can find now in, in Britain. Um, it's a special tool for eating kiwi fruit, which is <laughs> kind of my favourite thing. It has a, a side on it. It's about um, four inches long. It has one side that's serrated, so you can cut the kiwi fruit in half. And then it has another end, which is a bit like a spoon. So you can you can uh, scoop the kiwi fruit out perfectly, so you don't waste any of it. And uh, my wife and I have uh, have saved two of these uh, for about seven years now. So that's that's pretty good pretty good use for for my little kiwi fruit tool. I absolutely love that. I love a that you're a massive fan of fruit. I also love that we have a phrase in our house of monofunctional kitchen gadgets, those things that only do one thing. But that sounds like at seven years you're getting a lot of use out of that. That's storing that carbon there. I hope it continues to give you many more years of happy kiwi eating in the future because you're right you waste a lot of kiwi when you do what i do which is stick it in an egg cup and jab at it with a teaspoon right and i'll use it for locally produced seasonal kiwi as well seasonal luxembourg kiwi yes of course um matt Rees, one final question for you then um who would you say is your environmental hero hmm wow well you know there are obviously big names in this but for me it's actually someone I know here in uh, in Luxembourg who's not a well-known person, but she has founded a, a shop where there's no packaging. And I think you might have heard of these elsewhere, but it's it's great. You go in there, you have to take your own bags, and she's really, you know, it's it's not her day job, if you like. You know, she has another job, and she has small children, and she set this up. It's called Oni, which means without in Luxembourgish. Uh, it's near the, the train station. And it's great. You see lots of people going in there. And it's a little bit like recycling in the sense that it's addictive. You know, once you go to that shop, if you go to another shop and they have things wrapped in plastic and styrofoam, you feel like, oh, I can't touch this stuff. Just the same way as when you're recycling at home, the more you do it, the more you think, wow, can I recycle this and this? And 
you start you know looking at everything it's the same way with this shop it's not just about having a a shop um that uh that doesn't package things but it makes you re-examine all the other things you buy so so she's she's a, a german woman who's originally from haiti and uh so she's my my hero yes that is an amazing one. I love that you're keeping it local as well because it's not always a big, you know, about changing the world or making big documentaries or being famous around the world. It's what we can do in our own communities. And you're so right when you start really looking at your recycling rather than chucking everything in and hoping it gets sorted at the end or thinking about the excess packaging that you don't need around all of your food. It does encourage these behaviour changes. I love that one. Matt Rees, thank you so much for talking to me for the Age of Plastic podcast. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. Oh, great pleasure. Thanks, Andrea. Really enjoyed my chat with Matt. So pleased to get some time with him. I really recommend the Climate Solutions podcast as well. Short, direct, easy to digest, easy to understand. Obviously, as I mentioned, the new series coming up is all about um, the survey that we talked about today, climate change in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, There's also a newsletter, Climate Solutions newsletter, and Climate Solutions is also available as a book. And Matt told me that in future series coming up later on this year of the podcast... Uh, They're going to be delving into a dictionary of green finance. So if you want to listen to the podcast, I will put a link in the show notes. Okay, today's eco life hack, something you can hopefully just start right now doing. Um, You probably know by now, only 9% of plastic across the world is recycled. You may also know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that I love beauty. Handle Recycling are hoping to divert... 1 million pieces of plastic from landfill by collecting your used plastic items and turning them into useful beauty items like mirrors and hairbrushes. Now we know that a lot of our recycling is not necessarily being turned back into useful items. A lot of it is getting burnt. So if you want to make sure that your recycling actually gets recycled, aka made into something else, you can find the details for handle recycling in the show notes wherever you are listening. I've been giving little shout outs as well this series to people who've been getting in contact, either leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or contacting me on the socials about the Age of Plastic podcast. Big shout out to Shannon Kenny. Uh, She works in basically sustainable consulting for businesses. Um, Shannon said some really nice things about the podcast, saying that I've got a lot of energy and wit and my personality comes through. I mean, I do try, Shannon. I feel like I've not had a lot of it for the past year, love, though. Can't deny. Uh, Thank you so much if you want to get in contact. All the details and the how-to are in the show notes where you're listening right now. Coming up next week on the podcast, someone who is amazing at social media, unlike myself, Amy Nguyen. She is the brilliant fashionable face behind Sustainable and Social, a brilliant Instagram account. It's also a newsletter debunking some sustainability myths. She's got a brilliant background in sustainability as well. She's going to be joining me next week to bust some plastic myths. Until then, remember as things open up, Please be COVID safe wherever you are. I'll see you next time on the Age of Plastic podcast. 